This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Okay, thank you everyone for being here. I'm really excited to facilitate this discussion with two close colleagues and friends, Leonard Cortona and Ricardo Jacobs. So first I just want to start, because um, we have a limited amount of time, with what were your sort of initial reactions to the documentary and how did you sort of come to learn about the story of Dulce September? Go ahead. <laughs> so first of all, uh, good evening everyone. Thank you so much for being here uh, in the screening. And I just want to have my first thought for my students and to tell them congratulations for the work that you've been doing for the podcast. This will be a very important uh, piece for the trial. That is the beginning of the hearings, not the trial, but actually the, the petition to reopen the, the investigation. So this is a dance movie. Uh, mm-hmm. This is going through so many different directions. Uh, the way I discovered Delcy September was actually through the voice of the activist. Uh, in France, we have that illusion that when Mandela was released and in 1984, when Mandela was elected president, France was all the time the friend of uh, the revolution movement and uh, the anti-apartheid struggle, which obviously was not true, as you can see uh, in the movie. And even after the, the release uh, of all those information, like the, the relationship between the French government, the arms deal, kept on going for many, many years uh, until today. Um, so many activists, when their September got murdered in 1988, they told me that it was for them this kind of activist coming of age, this moment where actually they realized that uh, they wanted to do something and they really wanted to, to work globally. So that whole story of uh, the anti-apartheid struggle and the, co- the collaboration between the people in exile and the French activists is something that is definitely not well-known and on very well publicized. So when you work on uh, the 80s and when you work on this movement, it's important also to retrieve the work of the activist. Uh, when I was in the archive, I was so surprised that actually the main function of this activist not only was to help the people in exile, but also to go to the mainstream media and to say, you cannot speak about the apartheid as uh, the ANC organization and all those movements as terrorists. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the reframing of being much more precise and much more complex, because even the French media, when you go to the archive, are quite complicit with what, what was happening uh, at that moment. So this is the first uh, important movement. And I think the movie mm-hmm. not only speaks about uh, the, the, the fight of Dutch September, but also speaks about that complete erasure of that story within uh, the French narrative. The second thing is obviously, as the movie said, uh, the ANC and the legacy of the ANC in Western Europe is this boy men's club. Uh, uh, we don't speak about the women activists, we don't speak about the black women, we don't speak also about the threat that women went through within the movement. So the movie and the struggle, the, the movement behind Adele September, the work that she's done, is also a catalyst of what we don't talk, what we put under, uh, under the, we sweep under the rug, as yeah. the activists uh, are saying. And then finally, I want to speak about the movie. Uh, we don't think enough about the role of visual media and films in the anti-apartheid struggle. If you look at the ways activists were actually making events, they always used one movie to start. They call it the consciousness movie, with, of course, relationship to the communist movement because they were the main partner uh, in Europe. Uh, You have many stories of films being smuggled by train all over Europe to actually show images that were censored uh, all over Europe. So this is important to retrieve also the story of that film as the legacy of this anti-apartheid struggle using movies. 
And uh, today, the, the story of that movie is that also it's going to serve as a visual evidence in the petition to reopen the trial. So one thing that I find important, and all the time Enver is telling me, is, please, you are in the US. In the US, there is the tendency when you use a film to speak about a, a cultural context that you erase the film and straight go ahead, you just go to the story. <laughs> so I just want to say something about the film that two things that I find interesting <clears throat> is that the film used the only archives available of Delphi September as a kind of a repressed memory. All those pictures that are coming back all the time, these are the only archives that are available because in the French national country, we only have all those archives being sealed for the last 34 years. So the only archives that are available are basically the one that you have here. Mm -hmm. And obviously the whole history of all those people that carry with them the legacy of the September. Many of the people featured on screen died in the last two, three years. So there was an urgency as well to record all those different testimonies. But I think it's important to, to think that when you don't have access to anything, when the archives are completely declassified, you need to recreate archives. You need to find a way not only to spread the legacy, but if you want to call out for justice, you need an evidence to go to the trial and you need an evidence to actually fight the complete erasure of that story. So this is why there's, uh, Enver Samuel is not only using the film as a visual evidence, but creating a petition that I invite you to sign when you Google the September petition. You will find it very easily online and creating a whole study guide and a whole work behind the film to educate about that story that has been completely erased of history books. Thank you. And a lot of what you said we'll kind of touch upon with the rest of our discussion. Uh, Ricardo, how about mm -hmm. you? Yeah, I was, I was thinking in 1988, I was in grade 10. Uh, and Doing quick math there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we were trying to do two things, to burn down the system and throwing stones. And so... At the time, there was a lot of uh, killings and murder of people, both young and old. And it's uh, an interesting for me to, to reflect and watch the movie again as a, as a sort of a, uh, someone uh, said, a murder mystery. But it's mm -hmm. also about an incomplete liberation, mm -hmm. right? And the complexity of thinking about liberation and celebrating individuals mm -hmm. and who is silenced and who is given prominence. So it's, a, it's a, a, a good way, particularly when the archive have been destroyed, and this is a visual, as, as, as Leonard has said, a display of that uh, trajectory of thinking about how do we deal with an incomplete liberation. So for me, it's... it's uh, although I'm not related to Dalsen, it's both personal and it also reflects the, the tensions and the struggles within South Africa and I, I guess most uh, failure of national liberation movements uh, across the continent. Well, just sort of building off of that, I mean, how do you each see the sort of uh, the case of Dulce September being evoked in contemporary anti-racist activism and other uh, prior activist movements? So there's many things. I mean, obviously, in the case of complete erasure, for instance, of the woman activist for the NCNA movement, she's representing an intersectional voice. She's representing um, portraits that are not being, as you were saying, in that national liberation have been completely removed. I'm thinking in South Africa, for instance, in the student movement, she's been used and she's being used as a platform to speak about how incomplete are the history curriculums, for instance, both in South Africa and I can speak about France because this is a country where I, I grew up and we never speak about uh, the anti-apartheid movement. We 
always uh, glorify somehow just Nelson Mandela and the release, but we don't want to go more complex around that story. So she's bringing with her not only the story of this movement, but she's also bringing the question of becoming a political prisoner, being banned, going on exile, which I think the movie does also a very good work. What is being on exile, which kind of family, political family you find when you're on exile, which kind of political advocacy you can find. And even more than that, the question of Dirty September when you go to the archives, it's always the same story. She had to go and to testify all of her friends to actually repeat all, all the time the same thing. The ANC should be recognized as a movement of liberation and not a terrorist movement. And she was tirelessly going all over the country, even going to Switzerland and Belgium because she was representing all those countries. Mm-hmm. And, and I think she represented the thread in that way because what I consider as an activist are two things. The first thing is a community organizer. And I think it's said in the movie, every time she was called upon, she was going even to the smallest village because she thought that one voice could change everything, which explains today that in more than 40 cities in France, you have her name, being a square, being a school, being a center, because she decided to meet the factory workers who maybe will never do much around the struggle, but at least will be conscientized and will have some kind of impact around the work that she's doing. The second thing is where she was very good at bringing both past, present, and future. She really envisioned a future, but she was like, we have to keep the historic legacies. And I do think that if she was alive after uh, the liberation, after uh, the, 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 the liberation of South Africa, the country, she would have criticized some of the movements of the NC. She would have created that complex voice that maybe at the moment of the end of the Cold War when we wanted to have a new country, she would have been a very complicated voice. And... Um, so in, in, this, in this activism, the, the new voices that are coming up, both in South Africa and I think in Europe, using the anti-apartheid struggle as, a, as an example of a global, uh, global activism, is to make things complex. Mm-hmm. We tend to glorify, we tend to elevate voices because this is a way of celebrating a victory, but we shouldn't see activism above all as an atavistic kind of strategy. Mm-hmm. It's always complex, and by making it more complex, we are going to educate the future generation mm-hmm. how to make good activism. And it's also very important, maybe just today something that we have to keep in mind, she was murdered mm-hmm. because she was married to the cause. And when I see, because I'm studying activism in my dissertation and in my research, how much we glorify and sometimes we make glamour activists all over the world, mm-hmm. we also have to remember that this is what is happening. Mm-hmm. Today, according to the Human Rights Defender Report, almost one person every day is being killed as an activist for bringing issues, mainly uh, indigenous today and um, anti-arms uh, deals still, activists are being murdered. So it's important also to to, be, to question all those networks of private sector political powers that still kill activists today. Yeah, one of the things you had also brought up when we talked about this earlier was the sort of point around her being a woman. So I wonder if you had to just sort of say a few words about the gender aspect of this as well. So obviously in terms of research and as being a cis man, it's very important for me to address the paternalism that she went through mm-hmm. and, and the machism within the party, within the French territory, the fact that she's constantly, when she goes to the French authorities or even when she tries to call uh, the anti-movement, she's just being said, you're hysterical or you shouldn't be taken uh, seriously. There is something that is incredible in that story to think that being a soft target and being one of the highest ranked ANC member outside of Africa and having so little protection, mm-hmm. I mean, this is just insane. Uh, and it shows how much, one, she, want, she had to be a target, because at one moment she could have been protected, and I could never believe that the French intelligence would have no way to know that mm-hmm. she would be killed. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a professor at Columbia researching about Malcolm X, and already in 1965, Malcolm X, they wanted, the CIA wanted to kill 
Malcolm X uh, in France. And France was like, oh, oh, don't do that here. <laughs> so if they were able to do that in 1965, how come in 1988? I mean, this is just completely impossible. The whole story that you can read in the book of Evelyn, of the meeting in the, in the, in the airport and all those different things are just collaborating the idea that clearly there was a collaboration between both countries. Mm-hmm. So the, the, that, that question of being a woman in, in, the, mm-hmm. in the movement also is bringing the question, how can you erase and how can you can silence? Because she was not afraid and she was fighting everyone because she just wanted to, the truth of it. Um, last thing that is also important, and it's important for me to, to say that, when you're a woman activist, you're usually being remembered as a face of the movement. And I think that the movie tries to, to bring back also the idea that she worked tirelessly. She brings so much intellectual production. The work, and this is why she became so threatening, is that she stumbled upon something that was murderous for her. And this is not what we remember usually for women activists. We remember that they are community organizers. We remember that they were good with children. And this is the picture that you will find in the archives in France. Oh, yes, she was talking in the market with people. She went to this place. She went to the feminist place. Even the feminist organization at that time were speaking about her eyes, mm-hmm. her clothes, but never about intellectual production. Mm-hmm. So it's maybe time that we create methodology. And when we speak about women activism, we also go to the, to the roots, mm-hmm. the work that they were able to do because they were also mostly in France, from what I know, not being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. So this was a way for her, actually, to go very, very far in her research. Mm-hmm. Ricardo, mm-hmm. what do you see as the connections between Dulce September and present <coughs> and historical activism? Yeah, I, I think one has to uh, locate uh, Dulce September within three periods. And I think prior to joining the ANC, she was part of this group, and, and I see her as a revolutionary and as an intellectual. And the importance of the people that she associated at that historical moment, the, the unity movement or the non-European unity movement, where the, the key issue was principled struggle, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that is the key uh, lesson that one can take from Dalsa September, even being incarcerated and continue on a principled basis continuing the struggle. And you can see it through what she's investigating, and that is uh, not to engage in this form of performative mm-hmm. politics, but what is guiding you. And, and, and I think her approach, uh, even joining the ANC, and this sounds <laughs> funny, that I think she, she continued to be anti-capitalist in her orientation. And because one think about the people that were murdered in this brutal way was the people who were not satisfied with the path towards democracy and, and who could anticipate uh, where this whole project was going. And I think that is the continuation between activism today and particularly women. Uh, the, the key thing with our uh, democracy, and, and just not in South Africa, but I think in the whole of the continent, it, it is difficult to think about who are the women protagonists mm-hmm. of history of the liberation movement. And I think this, the film in that sense is, is uh, allowing us to have our reckoning and to say what, what was the contribution of people as a whole to the, to the struggle, not just in terms of being anti-apartheid activists, but also intellectual contribution and a revolutionary contribution. And I think that is where I would locate uh, Dalsi September, but also in the current conjuncture about engaging in principled struggles and to understand what is it that we are struggling against. You know, uh, Was it the struggle against apartheid or was it against the whole system of capitalism that has subjected people uh, and continues to do this under new guise within 
uh, I, I guess on a global scale, but particularly in South Africa as well. The other thing that the, or one of the other things that the film opens up is the connection between the connections between France and South Africa, and specifically, um, you know, this connection between the connection to racism and colonialism in France, and so, and particularly the political context. And so, I'm wondering if you can say a little bit about that. So, something that is interesting uh, in the connection that Delcy had, and um, I can think first about the lawyer, for instance, that they hired in 2000. She was someone working for the FLN in the liberation, national liberation in the Algerian War. So all those connections, all those activists she was working with, they were already struggling from the 60s to the 80s to have actually the truth coming out about what happened in Algeria and all this mm -hmm. colonial legacy. Mm -hmm. So there is something important to, to know in the 70s, in the 80s, and the story is a little bit different in the US, but in France we never speak about uh, South Africa, and, and I would say Africa in general. Uh, so the, the work of the activists was not only uh, to actually fight and, and help the, the people in exile, but actually to rewrite a story, because unfortunately who was writing the story in France at the time, the far-right politics. Right. In the archives, what I can find very easily at the time are all the right-wingers speaking about how much the regime of Pretoria was so strong and so good in the way that they were working without very much having no one reflecting about because there was no interest whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So they also wanted to really fight against all those theories and they've been creating a lot of post-colonial theory already. The 80s is a moment where the anti-racist movement, we have this huge march, as we call it, in 1983 for mm -hmm. the equality in France. So that, that collision, right, of this moment where finally all those different things are opening up because also the 80s is a movement where, is a moment where television, where media are extremely moving up very quickly when finally those images Images are coming up, but until the 70s, 80s, we don't have any images whatsoever coming. So 1976 is the in, in South Africa the Soweto uprising, mm -hmm. and this has been a huge impact all over the world. 1977, this is the United Nations sanction. So finally, we arrive in the 80s. So so Delcy arrives at a moment in France where the conversation is a little bit opening up. The left comes to power in 1981. Finally, we have a Ministry of Women Equality. So. Mm -hmm. People don't know why Dulcie was appointed. She didn't speak any French, so, which is a huge issue when you arrive in French even more at the time in the 80s. But I think she was representing somehow the voice of someone who wouldn't make any compromise mm -hmm. and bring that question. So in terms of collaboration, she created very strong intellectual links and she was also producing and helping the production of that narrative. Clearly, France today, to come a little bit to where we are, um, we have a backlash around reflecting uh, post-colonial issues. We are sitting two days, two, der, two days after the mm -hmm. election, the, resist, the result of the presidential election, uh, when we have two candidates that overtly are against any post-colonial studies and race studies. And even Emmanuel Macron, the president, have opened in the parliamentary a whole commission against wokeism, knowing and saying that most of the studies trying to reflect about the role of France in in post-colonial stories should be completely erased and we shouldn't speak about that. Most of the candidates coming up to the TV and the news channel are saying that colonization was not a crime against humanity. Mm -hmm. So we are dealing with a lot of issues and when the story of Dulce is coming and is telling through an exterior gaze, mm -hmm. which is not a complete French gaze, but through the story of South Africa and is revealing how France was also complicit with what was happening, this becomes quite strong because French people cannot say, step back and say, we didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I never, never heard anything similar in terms of speaking openly about arms trade in the context of the 80s in France. So this is a whole story that uh, we have to create. And then I think finally, I, I just want to bring the question of Marine Le Pen, who is the, 
the candidate and she's in the second round and obviously even if she tries to to clean the party and to, to bring a new image, it's important to remember that her father, who was the, the founder of the Front National, which is the mm -hmm. extreme right party, published the direction, the postal address of Delphi September mm -hmm. and openly had a war against her and so many activists that I could study in the long period of the 80s. So even if she tried to clean the party, those people that he worked with are still working with her. Mm -hmm. So that legacy of that party that always attacked people who tried to fight against racial inequality and the struggle for freedom, this is the story that we have today. So I think it's also very important to, to read that story not only through 1988 or the long 80s, but 2022 and where we are sitting today. Right. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So I think that, uh, one of the linkages is if you think about uh, this, uh, I'm just uh, rephrasing it, if you, if you scratch a social democrat and then a, a new colonial fascist bleed, mm -hmm. uh, because it, it reveals the, the, the impulse to always link uh, right-wing ideology mm -hmm. with the way in which things are linked. But here you had social democrats and the, and the collaboration, and, and so we have to interrogate the, the logic of accumulation. It, it, it doesn't care if it's neo-Nazis or social democrats. Right. Its logic is still mm -hmm. to accumulate. Right. And I think this is the important point about during the, the crisis of the 1980s in, in South Africa, and you had a, a pre-revolutionary moment, but the economic ways of operation continued through uh, the credit system, through mm -hmm. the banks in Europe. through through So that continued, even though you had the... Uh, so-called sanctions of the anti-apartheid movement, but the economy was still going on through that uh, connection, you know. So, uh, so, so, so this is for me the, the important point that one also has to consider thinking about contemporary movements around the world, that you have, you're calling for sanctions and divestment, mm -hmm. but the logic, the way in which you, you can think about on the global, I, I almost want to call it a white power structure, but that is too simplistic. Mm -hmm. But the logic of global uh, mm -hmm. capitalism and how it operates, it doesn't care. You know, it, 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 It's embedded in its logic of accumulation to even support uh, a fascist government like the South African government, you know, mm -hmm. because it, it's tied to the processes of accumulation. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings the logic between racism and capital accumulation. It's always tied, right? And I think that was the cardinal sin of, of, of Dulce September, that she, she made that connection and, and paid the price for that, you know, to, to, to expose you know, the, the logic of and the hypocrisy of the whole system. And it's not restricted to France. Or you can go to the U.S., mm -hmm. uh, the Israelis who supported nuclear capabilities mm -hmm. with the South African state. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole broader system that one has to interrogate. And I think this is the beauty of the Delta September uh, movie. It allows us to, to interrogate and pursue these lines of inquiry and to say, yes, this is it. People who, who preach about democracy, but right. you know, supporting uh, basically Nazis, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, moving on from sort of building off of that, I wonder if we could take a minute to talk specifically about the question of violence, um, how it's portrayed in the documentary, but also sort of the sort of intimacy, for lack of a better word, of the assassination of Dulce September in, amid the sort of you know quotidian nature of violence during apartheid uh, South Africa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I've been thinking about this, this notion of violence and I, and, I, and I was struck by the, 
I think one of the protagonists said it, it is not a lover's quarrel, but there's, there's, there was this intimacy and the brutality of the violence. You know, it was not just to eliminate, but it, you know, it was not just to silence, but it was to eliminate. You know, the whole process of of of, of Dalton's attempt of exposing this particular uh, uh, crime. But but there's something more important, and I think one has to to get to this point in the discussion, the linkages between uh, the French state, the apartheid government, and the liberation movement, and, and the logics of collaboration between these this three, right? So the unfinished business in, in the South African context is that a lot of the people, or some of the people in the ANC, <laughs> were known people to collaborate with the system. And so there is this uh, personal... Uh, Connection in the way in which this whole thing was orchestrated. I mean, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories, but the film lends itself to that mm-hmm. interpretation, and, and internally that is the logic, mm-hmm. right? And uh, because the archives were destroyed by the state and by the Mandela government, we will never know. So mm-hmm. there is always question marks around people's heads about who were the collaborators. And... Uh, Later, uh, information revealed that the person that replaced uh, Dalfa September, Solly Smith, actually was an operative of, uh, collaborated with the South African government, who was the ANC person replacing Dalsi. So you, you can see the, <laughs> what is unfolding here. And I think that is the, the big thing that we also have to interrogate, you know, uh, what we call the Ascaris within <laughs> the right. movements, right. you know. Yeah, um, so, so just to go back to Soli Smith, it's very important yeah. Yeah, to, to think that that double agent was actually mm-hmm. the, the legacy of Dutch September. So that the whole thing about uh, orchestrating someone coming and claiming uh, Dutch September's legacy, and, and I've seen like some, some TV report about him speaking about that. You just think about that whole theatricality, right? Mm-hmm. When actually people can come in that game and can perform, right, uh, Dutch September and... Uh, he was like a drunkard. I mean, there's a whole thing about that, the end of the 80s and, and, and the people coming to the NC that, that is very interesting to, to, to research. Another violence that I want to bring, obviously, France is very much connected to assassinating activists and political uh, power and figures in Africa. In 1888, uh, there was like the murders of different activists in New Caledonia as well, mm-hmm. uh, because we also have like territories, colonial territories at that time that had like movements, I don't want to say uprising, maybe it's not the right term, but movements as well. So there is that. But there is another thing that I think it's also very important in terms of violence that resonates very much today with so many countries, I work on Brazil as well, is the question of misinformation. Mm-hmm. When the C September was assassinated, there was a huge spread of misinformation. That's why usually you kill actually activists very close to election. First, because it's a wake-up call and you want to intimidate the progressive kind of forces. But it's also a moment where you have a lot of rumors coming in because it's election and manipulation of IDs. And today it's online. Before it was on newspaper and television. But at the time when she got murdered, the whole misinformation was just three different theories. The first one, the, the normal thing with, with women, like at the time and until today, the romantic kind of mm-hmm. thing, which was ridiculous. The second thing was also uh, that she was a spy for the U.S. and she was killed by the CIA. You had to be very creative <laughs> to create this kind of narrative. And then the other narrative was like, she was colored, she was not black, so she was actually killed by black ANC mm-hmm. uh, activists. 
So, you know, the whole, and of course, like, that went and that went. The other controversy was about who was actually claiming the legacy during the funeral. And uh, the difference between England and France is that the anti-apartheid movement and struggle was very fragmented. So the socialist, the anti-racist movement, and the communists didn't really work along very, very well. So the whole thing about the, the, the funeral was not about her, but was actually the whole uh, controversy about why the Communist Party is actually claiming her legacy. And, and so erasing her, also part of that misinformation that was like so strong uh, at the time, the fact that after four years, everything was just sealed. And uh, today, the, the reason why... Uh, the family, the relatives, and the activists are just petitioning to reopen the trial, is that they finally find a way to fight prescription. Because this is the tool that the French uh, government and court is using, prescription, so you cannot do anything else afterwards. Mm -hmm. So for me, this movie is a hope. Mm -hmm. Because this movie definitely inscribed itself in that legacy of how a community of people, a global community, because that story is global, mm -hmm. It first belongs to South Africa, it's very important, but for us in, in France, wanted to, to make it more complex and to fight with that, to decolonize that idea that France was such a great country with South Africa. We finally are able to not rewrite the history, but actually to make it more complex. Mm -hmm. It's very small, but it's still a very strong beginning. Mm -hmm. So I think that we should take very seriously that whole misinformation that lasted for so many, so many years mm -hmm. and, and contributed to the violence of that crime. Mm -hmm. And just to touch on that, I mean, there also is the misinformation about the refusal of police protection. So can you just say a few words about that as well? Yeah, so, so, so that moment, that was what we call a cohabitation. So yeah. we had the left and the right at the same time. And um, the, the, um, you're absolutely right, first, when you say that the left and right, that divide should be questioned <laughs> in that question of, of, of uh, supporting the, the regime. So first, but it's true that at the time... Um, the, the Ministry of, of uh, the Transport and, and, and the Police Security said that they never received any mm -hmm. application for the LC Police Security, which is also like ridiculous because if people were fighting nicely that story, you cannot expect that someone so high-ranked traveling all over France and Europe shouldn't receive any police protection. Mm -hmm. the, the, I mean, this is just the, the madness of, of that mm -hmm. story as well. When uh, you look at the space, uh, also like the fact that she was really a soft target, how can you can create a routine when you have panthers coming to that space? I mean, I don't want to go to that murder story. I think the movie does it very well, but the complete lack of protection. Right. The, the complete assuming that someone like her should be like a kind of a normal citizen mm -hmm. and not being taken more seriously is showing already how much actually the, the French state was stepping mm -hmm. and taking distance to, to, to protecting her. So that whole story was terrible because... People were silenced from the activist movement, the people who went with her to ask for the police. At the time, it was just like newspaper and TV, so basically you just hear the ministry or the government say, that never happened, that never happened. And I went to throw the archive and all the TV newsreel, and until maybe two years or three years afterwards, like no one else was just questioned because the most important was to win the election. So um, all those questions, um, I, there is one thing that for me will always remain the, the, the huge question as well is, how come the NC didn't come to see her? Mm -hmm. And, and I, once again, I'm not in that conspiracy theory, but it was so clear that for the last six months she discovered something really big mm -hmm. and she was crying for help. And she was someone who never cried for help. She, uh, you can find some writing and she was saying, like, I know something can happen to me. She was hosted in, in, a, in a home, in the house close to a school and she asked to be moved to another place because she was afraid that when she's going to be killed 
children would be killed. Mm -hmm. So that was for the last three years that she knew that something like that could happen. But the complete, the complete lack of protection also from the NC movement is, is a big mystery for me. And without going into conspiracy theory, I just cannot understand that someone so high-ranked wouldn't have that kind of protection. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's a, it's a, it's, look, <clears throat> I don't want to detract from uh, Dalsa September, but I think to discuss the ANC mm -hmm. as the only uh, movement mm -hmm. uh, in South Africa is itself problematic, mm -hmm. you know, and the movie sort of perpetuates that myth that they are the representatives of the people of South Africa. They're but one, mm -hmm. right? And so I think what, 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 what the movie does and, and I think where Dalsa September is moving towards is inter interrogate the legacy of the ANC. So you mm -hmm. ask yourself, here's your member. You are in power uh, like 24 or more years. Why don't you drive the investigation into the murder of Dalsa September? So that's the question that we should ask. And it comes back to if Dalsa September become an iconic figure like Nelson Mandela or anyone else, it, the, it would, it would, you have to explain why was she murdered. It would be every year you would have to celebrate and it would force the public to reckon with why, did, why was she murdered. And we could see the continuation between the arms deal of the 80s with the apartheid government and the current ANC government that continued. And so uh, it's a question of the betrayal, not just of Dalsi September, and then I want to come back to my early point, but it's a betrayal of the, com of the, of the liberation of people mm -hmm. in South Africa and that mm -hmm. they bought into this project, this neoliberal mm -hmm. project. And I think Dalsi September was like a hindrance to uh, the shift towards this neoliberal project because you would have disrupted that. So there was a smooth continuation between the Nazi government in South Africa and then the new so-called liberators, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is what is exposed, you know, mm -hmm. the, the myth of liberation and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the idea that this was a liberation movement, right? It, it questions its, its logic because there are more things. They met with the uh, capital and business in the 1980s. And, and, and so this is uh, the, the point that is exposed. But it's also exposed this... Uh, idea that France is the bastion of liberty, I think it's an interesting idea, but mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> right, and, and uh, that is not there, you know, I mean, you, you, you can think about from Thomas Sankara to the, mm -hmm. the long history in the continent, it's just still a new colonial force, and the type of violence that it is still unleashing in Mali and all of this, and so you can see that, that continuation and link it the ANC's legacy within the continent, you know, if mm -hmm. you think about that they are the conduit for capital in, in the mm -hmm. 21st century. That, that is how money is channeled through Johannesburg to the rest of the world. So they are playing a very interesting role in the contemporary conjuncture. And I think had that exposure happened, it, you know, it would have been a complete different dynamic because more people would have questioned internally, you know, to say, okay, what is this? Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's a longer story about the, the continuation. And basically, yeah, it's just, just a story of betrayal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know uh, 
not just the murder of Dalsi September, but also the, the idea of liberation and freedom and the distribution of resources and the, to create a new society, you know. And so that promise has just evaporated. And I think this is the legacy that we have to interrogate. Yeah, and relatedly to, to what you just said, I mean, one of the things we talked about earlier was also the way that sort of the erasure of the archives was crucial to sort of creating this narrative. So I wonder if we can just draw that a little bit. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that the ANC sort of managed that process. Mm-hmm. That too, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a theory that about almost 40 tons of uh, material were destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and willingly, without any intervention, you know, even by hand through furnaces, and so, uh, so, so, the the dilemma that the the movie also exposes is that all of that knowledge has disappeared, and we don't have access to it in South Africa, mm-hmm. but it exists somewhere else because there were ties, mm-hmm. because the apartheid state was not operating on its own, right? It, you, you, it was a white bastion within uh, a broader geopolitical, uh, and and this might sound controversial, it was Israel of the Middle East, Mm -hmm. right? And so it it fulfills that role because it is allowed to produce nuclear capabilities and and all of that. And I think the stakes are much higher, Mm -hmm. right? And if it would have exposed, I think a lot of people inside the ANC would have also been exposed. Mm -hmm. And so there was a, a trade-off, like, do we make it available and we can get the perpetrators of the crimes and convict them, but what about those who collaborated? Right. Right, and I think that is, that is the interesting thing that the movie also, in a subtle and sometimes not in so subtle ways, mm-hmm. is uh, exposing. You know, it was interesting... Uh, Aziz Pahad's response, did I really say that? (laughs) (laughs) It was like like a funny moment, like, oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, this is exactly the same story. So as I was saying, it's been sealed for 34 years. Uh, uh, The activists that I could uh, interview at the time, they were all very angry because they were like, how come we didn't find a way to run to her apartment? Mm -hmm. And everything was stolen. Stolen, that's the right word, actually. And um, the family today know that they won't know during their lifetime who killed or who ordered the murder, but they at least want to know what she found, mm. the, the diary that she was writing, the whole information. How can a family grieve and, you know, 34 years afterwards without having access to her production? So, you know, um, that in France you have two ways. You have different uh, statues of the archives. You have secret and top secret. So both of the archives that are spread in three different spaces, ministries, are secret and top secret. So that tells you already what you are saying. Like we are in a very, very high uh, standard kind of archive. But I also want to try to stay positive a little bit mm-hmm. and to see actually how the work of some people to, to try to dive and to be more speculative and to create different archives is also important today. That rewriting of that story, that ways of, you know, scratching, you use that word, I think, scratching, scratching, creating those archives. And the movie does that. The voiceover that you have in the movie is actually a play that has been created out of the life mm-hmm. of the Chisem Taben and has been played as well. So all those, the, the role of theater, the role of art, the role of uh, media and journalism, it's also important. because and Countering that erasure. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, and I do think that we have really no clue what we, could, we would be able to find. I think maybe the movie plays a little bit with this idea that we kind of know. I think it's much more complex than that. But it's true that the way the movies retrieve 
all these works from so different actresses and actors to create a counter memory. Mm -hmm. And the thing that you can see online as well, all the digital visual activism around her life, should be seen and should be understood and should be treated at least as a first effort to, to unerase her. So mm -hmm. I, I try to stay a little bit positive about that because Open Secrets, for instance, and even Heron mm -hmm. that you see that, that wrote that amazing book, if you're interested in that uh, story or, about the gun, the arms and the money, uh, had a podcast on their September, just Who Killed Dulcie? It's a six-episode postcard. They have an extra one, seven, and they do an amazing work with the little archive that they have that they mm -hmm. could find in, in South Africa. So there is work being produced very much in the country right now with different voices, with different people, a lot of women working to erase the role of women also as well. So we should also be optimistic about that. There is a movement. But definitely the day we are going to decolonize and declassify those archives, there will be a big win because this is what the family needs and the country, I guess, mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. This is history. Right. Yeah, and so I want to come maybe to, towards the end. Um, there's a lot of clips of the sort of uh, the Truth and Reconciliation... Oh. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, so I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the aftermath of that and then also maybe tie that into the kind of um, the current status of the Justice for Dulce campaign. I have a very specific... I think the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission did not achieve its objective because the assumption is that you are talking to human beings, mm -hmm. Right. Uh, you, you have to, because that assumption, the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, showed that we are not engaging with human beings. Mm -hmm. you, you have to be human to say, yeah, I committed this, but that process has never been there. Like. Mm -hmm. And so the perpetrators, the, 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 the logic of Mandela to assume is talking to human beings, <laughs> right? And so they haven't discovered the humanity. And so that is the basic injustice of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, because the rights of the victims have been completely taken away, right? So you could go there and go and confess, even on the, on the murder of Dalsa September. Uh, what is much more interesting, the former minister, Puk Buerta, became a member of the ANC. Yeah. <laughs> so so, so yeah. you, you, you see this uh, system and the way in, in which it happens. So I'm, I'm very critical of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Even the people, the victims, have, up to date have not been compensated. A mere pittance, <laughs> right? It's not even uh, a lot of money. And so you can think about... Uh, reparations in that sense, you know, there's the logic of the family that, that they need justice, but I think one has to tie Dulcie to the broader mm -hmm. uh, South African family and that she should represent justice for the entire society because there, there are a lot of people that this injustice is just continuing because of the way in which society is structured, you know, and it was more of the victims going and burying their souls and some of them even laughing. Mm -hmm. uh, some of these perpetrators, you can think about their level of humanity that you can murder activists, burn their bodies, and on the other side have a barbecue, mm -hmm. right? And then you go and go there and, and still go and ridicule the, the, mm -hmm. the victim. So uh, for me, is that this is the realm of non-human beings, that, mm -hmm. that we have to find a way, you know, the, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission should have achieved two purposes, to restore the humanity of those oppressed, but also the oppressor, but also to do uh, redistribution in society and change the structure of the economy and social relations in society more broadly. And I think that objective has been lost. Uh, 
And I think this is what the Diocese of Temba and the activism should not should continue to do. And I think that is the broad context in which one should locate this uh, incomplete struggle. So as a, as a non-South African, I mean, I can just, you know... One thing that for me is important in that restorative justice uh, process, at least it's true that what the TRC has done has been a huge uh, broadcasting uh, in South Africa, outside of the country, so it's been a source of archive, obviously, of those stories. I completely agree with you, and I think that in the line of Delta September, uh, TRC without reparation is just a failure. But it's hard for me to say in terms of positionality, but what we see in the last discourse, for instance, that uh, French activists have read uh, in front of the embassy like several weeks before she got murdered, were all about that, that the regime of Pretoria was Nazi, that it's time to think about reparation, that there was already in 1988 that feeling that, yes, we are going to move forward, but we cannot move forward without thinking about, as you said, redistribution and reparation. So the case of Dulcine, in that sense, is an unresolved case. The TRC had more than 300 in, in unresolved cases, in addition to the people who didn't come to testify in the court. So I, I completely agree with that. One thing that is important for me to say, I think we are arriving to, toward yeah. the end, September is also the name of an enslaved person. She was holding the name of an enslaved mm-hmm. person. So Dulcine September, her story and her ancestors are also uh, representing that legacy of reparation needs for reparation. So clearly, uh, there is a symbol that shouldn't be raised, and sometimes I also try to, to bring justice for Delcy, but justice for Delcy September, because it's important to bring mm-hmm. also that question and to, to answer your question around the campaign. I think what the French has done to delay the process has been really hard for Enver, because Enver was the only one trying to raise money with the Justice for Delcy campaign. Obviously, when it's being completely delayed, uh, you cannot pay anymore the people, the community manager, the people mm-hmm. behind. Something that is important is that Dulce was murdered pre-internet, so basically you have everything to build in terms of digital persona, in terms of digital networks, which kind of images you want to use, which kind of archives you want to, to put. So it was a lot of work, and people were working like part-time to full-time to the campaign. Uh, they also created a conversation within the schools, uh, because there is a huge issue in school curriculum in South Africa. So the movie can be used as a platform, and people came to the Q&As. It became a political forum. You had the crime perpetrators, the people who were victimized by the system, who had a meeting there, and the nephew, Michael, that you see in the movie was one of the hosts of those Q&As, for instance, in the school, and, and many of the people working with. So it's important to think, and this is what I try to say in my research, those stories are methodology as well. Mm-hmm. Methodology to declassify the archive, to declassify the knowledge, to make complex all the things that have happened. And uh, Delcy is a beautiful platform for that. Delcy September is a beautiful platform for that. So hopefully there will be some advances. Uh, I doubt that it will come from the French side. I have more <laughs> hope that something will happen on the South African side. But at least if we have a chance as a global audience mm-hmm. to put pressure, to show the movie, to raise awareness, to do like my students, like production, uh, to speak about her, believe me, this is pressure. Mm-hmm. Because for the moment, the French, as much as the South African, they have the power to erase her because she didn't exist enough in the mediascape in both countries. So I think that the small role that we have in tonight and the, the production that we have, the Q&As, the whole thing that we can create, it's a small step, but this is a step necessary to, to make her exist and to give her justice. Okay, I think, I think we're at time. So thank you, everyone, for coming. And thank you, Letter to Ricardo, for this fantastic conversation. 
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.